I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to today's History Hack. I have Heather with me today. Hello, Heather. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I was going to ask you, how is Ohio? But you've never got anything nice to say about Ohio when I answer that. And I think even less so at the moment. Uh, So let's just assume it's hot and you're fed up um, and that Ohio lawmakers suck and move on to who our guest is today. So we're sticking with our Wolfson-nominated authors today. Malcolm Galskill is a emeritus professor of early modern history at the University of East Anglia. He's one of Britain's leading experts on the history of witchcraft. His previous books include Witchfinders, a 17th century English tragedy, and Between Two Worlds, How the English Became Americans. He was nominated for the Wolfson Prize this year for his latest, The Rune of All Witches, Life and Death in the New World. Malcolm, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks and for having me. Congratulations. Thank you very much indeed. Yes. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Were you expecting it? No, of course I wasn't expecting it. Do you not get it, any but, inkling that you're on like a long list or anything like that? Do you just get slammed with it? No, no, you just get a text message from somebody who's heard from somebody else and then you uh, suddenly it's, uh, you know, it feels like weeks and weeks and weeks in the future and then suddenly it's on you and then you start getting kind of anxious and started thinking that you might just win after all that time of thinking that you couldn't possibly win. But um, anyway, it was all good fun. Excellent. Um, I really love this book. I was sitting here reading it yesterday uh, for the way in which it looks at witchcraft and stuff, which I tend to think like another one, but I love the way it kind of did it in the context of the society in the new world, um, which I always want to know more about and never get around to. So before this, before we start then, for people like me, can you set the scene for us? When we say new world at this point, um, when are we in history and what area are we actually talking about in this earlier, uh, early in the history? I guess like is the history of the British empire, isn't it? Yeah. So we're in, so we're in North America, we're in New England, uh, colonial New England, and we're actually 
far west of that. We're on a kind of western frontier in the Connecticut Valley, so part of Massachusetts, and we're in right in the middle of the 17th century, so late 1640s, early 1650s. The whole witchcraft thing is it's a fascinating insight into the psyche of people of the time. Um, they're really living through turbulent times, aren't they? Yeah, they are. So this is a, it's an incredibly, um, yeah, incredibly turbulent period in history. So this is set in what we'd call the early modern period. So it's between the modern and the medieval. And it's this great period of transition. But in that transition, there's an awful lot of conflict uh, and anxiety and pain. And so the, for England, and of course, these are English people who are transported uh, or they transport themselves to America, you know, they're living in particularly, um, you know, tumultuous times because this is the era of the Civil War and the era in which Charles I is executed. And so that England goes from being a monarchy to republic. So there's an incredibly um, significant period in English history and that those, those migrants to America are also experiencing because they are not, you know, they're not cut off from the English world. They experience all those kinds of hopes and fears that people are experiencing back home at that time. Really, the idea of a terrifying journey into the unknown and a new life somewhere calm is understandably uh, understandably appealing to some, isn't it? But this is a, I can see why they'd want to do it, but it's a horrifying journey at the time. Can you talk us through a bit about what it would take to get them to the other side of the Atlantic in this time period? Okay, so it, it, you would, you know, you would get on a ship probably somewhere in a Western port, so, you know, somewhere, somewhere like Bristol, for example, and uh, journeys could take anything between about seven weeks and 12 weeks. If it's 12 weeks, it was particularly awful. Um, the, the, and people were absolutely terrified by them. It was, you know, it was incredibly uncomfortable and it was boring. Um, there were terrible storms. Um, sometimes they sighted pirates on the horizon. So it was an incredible kind of uh, traumatic rite of passage between leaving the old world and the new. But that really, that once you'd arrived, the difficulties, um, that's really when the difficulties started, because then you actually had to make a life for yourself in America. And actually, the, the ordeal of the, uh, the transatlantic crossing was, was you know, quite quickly forgotten, given what lay ahead. So our story takes place in Springfield in uh, 1651. So this is, of course, Massachusetts, not not the Simpsons Springfield. So um, can you tell us a little bit about the community who founded what, what life was like there? Yeah. So, yeah. So not 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 the uh, not the Simpsons Springfield, which is, in fact, we now know in Oregon. There are a number of uh, Springfields in America, but this is the first. This is named after uh, an Essex village where the, the founder, William Pynchon, um, originally comes from. Now, Pynchon goes to America, lots of people, for partly for religious reasons, because as a Puritan, he feels um, oppressed uh, in 17th century England, but mostly for economic opportunity. And Pynchon, as well as being a godly, um, well, he's a sort of amateur theologian, actually, but he's essentially um, quite an aggressive entrepreneur, particularly in the fur trade, and that what Pynchon wants to do is to get from the eastern seaboard to the over towards the Connecticut Valley, so he can actually get the beaver fur at its source. That's his distinctive, unique selling point. 
and uh, and this is why he founds this community at a place called Agawam, which he then renames Springfield after his Essex home. And it becomes a very kind of uh, industrious and rather, uh, you know, I think inhospitable environment in many ways socially, because there people are extremely competitive with one another. And they're also very greedy for land, as they are in many, many other parts of colonial America. And this makes this rather a fraught and tense place. And it's rather ironic, considering that actually that many people went to America because they'd slightly given up on England, which they felt had lost its way and where they felt the traditional charity between neighbours was collapsing. And actually, really, they kind of take that nasty part of themselves with them. Uh, and then that is actually allowed to flourish in the, uh, the, the new lands of America. It's so fascinating, isn't it? Your story revolves around two particular individuals or is centred on them. Uh, So tell us, who are Hugh and Mary Parsons and what has brought them to Springfield? Right. Well, one of the great things about writing this story was that I was actually able to write a, a micro history. The sources allowed me to do this. And that meant I could look in great detail at individual characters and relationships, which really made sense of witchcraft you know, as a rather a weird idea, but really made it kind of logical in this world. So right at the centre of this, as you say, are this couple, Hugh and Mary Parsons, and they meet in Springfield. They don't go there together. Um, originally, she is Mary Lewis. She's a maidservant and she has come from Wales. She's had a very unhappy marriage there and she's basically put everything behind her to get to America um and uh she she's also extremely godly she's belonged to rather a kind of a charismatic puritan sect back in wales and so she takes something of this sensibility with her she's also actually it turns out rather emotionally unstable i think to the point of actually suffering from some kind of psychosis but she's in you know she's in the market for her husband and then she meets Hugh parsons who is looking for a wife and Hugh parsons is a really difficult touchy awkward sensitive sort of man um who blows up at the least provocation and is extremely paranoid about his neighbors but he does have this very particular role in springfield which is that he is a brick maker and springfield really being on the up needs bricks because what you find when you go to america is that you everything from the old world um you know which you took for granted is is lacking so something, if you were back in England, bricks are freely available. But in the new world, it's a specialist skill to make them. Um, and you really need someone in your town to do that. So, so Parsons has this particular kind of power, I suppose, because he can br- make the bricks that everyone else wants. But this brings him into constant conflict with his customers and neighbours because he's actually such a difficult person. It's brilliant how deep you could go like you said and I think it's what makes the book so good is that you it's amazing for like a reader to pick it up and realize you were able to add so much color um light and shade to these characters um despite the fact that we're talking about the 1600s mm-hmm. yeah that's right well it's this is this is uh I mean the sources really lend themselves to this I mean some of the to write something like this, to reconstruct this this world 
you draw on sources that aren't directly related to Springfield or to these characters, but, you know, you build up the, you know, the, the way in which they farmed and what the houses are like and what the weather and the climate was like, you can get from all sorts of other sources. But the great thing about this story is that we have these very, very de- detailed account of the accusations against the Parsons, um, which you can both read for the detail of the accusations, but you can also kind of read it against the grain because it tells you an awful lot about daily life and the way in which this community operated. And that means when you put all these things together, you can actually get this really very um, precise picture of the way in which they live their lives. And that helps you to make sense of of the idea of witchcraft and the kinds of particularly i think the kinds of emotions behind every every witchcraft accusation which is in the records of other cases is often rather lacking so the thing about springfield is i think you hopefully you can make make witchcraft make sense within the context of its world and all the characters and as i say all the relationships and uh, hang-ups that they have so what is the catalyst for the the medieval sounding nonsense that follows? How does the community manage to convince itself that it that witchcraft was was afoot? I mean, we're on the edge of enlightenment. So shouldn't we have outgrown this by now? Yeah. So this is as a transitional period in you know, you know, Western history, that the uh, the interesting thing is that witchcraft is absolutely possible as an idea i mean it might sound to us like medieval sounding nonsense but of course it's only it's connected to the idea of uh, of uh, of god's providence and on the other side of the devil uh, and of angels and of you know there's a whole kind of religious um uh structure around this and that within that there is the possible idea that people can actually interact with demons in order to harm their neighbors and so on so this is actually very theoretically and legally possible but on the other side of it and this is the perhaps the more modern side of the early modern is that actually there's a lot of skepticism not just of witchcraft as an idea but skepticism of the kinds of proofs which might be used in order to prove somebody guilty so they're very actually they're actually very uncertain about the reality of witchcraft and that when this finally comes to trial i'm not going to put in a spoiler here but when it comes to trial this is the particular difficulty because they aren't the, the, the Hugh and Mary are not tried uh, in Springfield, where everybody's convinced themselves that they are witches. They're tried at Boston, where people are, but you know, don't know who these people are, and therefore have to judge and assess the evidence on its own merits. And actually, as it turns out, it's demerits. So it's you know, witchcraft is poised as an idea. It's poised between absolutely theoretically possible and actually in practical terms, really extremely unlikely. And that's why you find that there really haven't been, in the first 20 years of English settlement of colonial America, there haven't been any witch trials. And that there really, if you take the whole, you know, the the next, you know, 50-odd years up to Salem, there really aren't actually that many, especially when we think about uh, colonial Puritans as being, you know, really sort of devil-fearing and, you know, um, you know, constantly accusing one another of all sorts of things and moral failings. There really aren't actually that many witchcraft trials and fewer convictions. And that's because that the devil seems to be everywhere, but it's very hard in a court of law to pin on 
a specific individual, particularly if you've got to prove that that person has formed a covenant or a pact with Satan, for which the evidence is, of course, um, almost completely absent. I just uh, we're going to sidestep on purpose because we're not going to tell people the outcome of the book and explain the trial because right. we're going to make them go and buy the book. But I mean, how do you get from <laughs> this married couple? I think we can cover how do they end up being accused? What what is well, the evidence that's thrown? Yeah, at them? The, the interesting thing is about this is that, and this is one of the reasons why it was important to to write the book as a micro history and to write it as a narrative to write everything as much as I possibly could in a clear sequence. Because if you do that, then actually one of the things you discover is that witchcraft accusations typically aren't a uh, a knee-jerk reaction just because you don't understand something, as sometimes you know the, the mythology would suggest. What you find is that these accusations take a long time to develop. Um, at least two or three years in the case of uh, Mary and Hugh Parsons. And that what, what is happening in that time is that their reputation, their good reputation in the community is gradually being eroded. Mm. And that if you lose your reputation, then you become vulnerable to all sorts of things in the, in a, within an early modern village. And that Hugh and Mary, um, so they start to lose their reputation. They start to rub their neighbours up the wrong way. There are all these little conflicts. And Mary is, I think, partly because she is extremely uh, emotionally disturbed. She is, she is very afraid of witches. And this actually attracts suspicion. Isn't, you might think that all her neighbours would be the ones who were terrified of witches, but initially they're not. It's the fact that she is that marks her out as really rather strange. Hugh, of course, is in all sorts of conflict with his neighbours and constantly threatening people and saying, I will be even with you, meaning I'll get you back. Well, that in itself isn't cause for to be accused of witches. But when you start getting these string of misfortunes that start happening amongst their neighbours, then what you get is that, and we all do this, this is still part of of the way that we think about the world, is you start to perform patterns and patterns and meanings that might not actually really be there. So that over time, you're getting this picture, which is like something very gradually coming into focus, where it becomes more plausible that Hugh and Mary might be witches than it would have been otherwise. So it isn't just a snap judgment about them. It's something which gradually starts to take shape over a period of months and actually, in fact, years. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Like I said, we don't want to ruin the book. So um, 
it's it's interesting that they've left the old world to escape everything that's going on back there, but yet they've brought all their emotional and spiritual baggage with them. Mm. So do we see this typically expand beyond the concept of witchcraft into other areas of their lives? Yeah, well, the, the, the idea, of course, is not to... You know, it's totally anachronistic thing that they're going to try and build America or build something that's distinctive from England. What they want to do is to rebuild England. They want an England where there is more land. They want an England which perhaps, where perhaps there is more charity between neighbours and maybe more religious freedom. But actually, this becomes rather a repressive society and rather an anxious society, not least because... They, the, the New England Puritans feel that if they disappoint God, who's trusted them to do this, he's, he's sort of a, he's opened up a covenant with them, that if they disappoint him, the New England might actually fail and cease to exist. Now, England's full of all sorts of hang-ups, but nobody ever thinks England will cease to exist. But New England is particularly, I think, paranoid in that way. So the, the, the idea really is to rebuild England. So they want to try and remake as much of it as they possibly can. So they want, they want something of the, um, the, the, the social structure, and they certainly want something of religion and of culture. And, of course, this is the only world that they know. And many of them actually go home again, and they're incredibly homesick, and they have family and friends in England. So they don't call themselves Americans, of course. They call themselves the English. That's what they – so that, that New England is – conceived as an outlier of the old world just 3,000 miles across the Atlantic so um, yes so they bring but you know uh, and then they can't reconstruct everything but the thing that as you you say they definitely have got with them is their old selves and the kind of bitterness they feel with their neighbours especially when it starts coming when it comes down to things like land so it's Springfield People watch each other very, very carefully to see how they are um, maybe, you know, how they are progressing materially. And whenever any land becomes available, there's always extremely keen competition to get hold of it. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. I think, um, without talking about her case specifically, I'm going to completely like tease this book all the way through, people. You need to buy the book to find out what happens to Hugh and Mary. But how representative is Mary of women accused of witchcraft at this time? You, you mentioned that she has emotional issues and that. Are these the kind of women like on the margins that are accused? Is this typical? And how widespread are accusations like this in the new world? Well, the, the, the uh, witch trials are saying are actually really rather rare. And there may well be more accusations and suspicions which never made it to court and therefore are, um, you know, went unrecorded. But I think when we're talking about how typical or representative a case is, that every case is unique because every case is, um, is determined by the very specific web of social relationships um, between individuals within a community. Uh, she is not a, a random scapegoat. 
Um, she's not accused, I think, because she is emotionally vulnerable, because there are many emotionally vulnerable people, especially in a, in a Puritan culture where lots of people are trying to discover whether they are or have actually been chosen by God. I'd be emotionally vulnerable if I'd left England to go and live in this hellhole well, frontier I, land of yeah, nowhere. Well, the thing is, you see, they do settle though, and I think they yeah. do sort of. It's it's there's a lot of a lot of their fears are actually allayed, especially if they're going to places where there is already something of an established uh, settlement. But the thing about Mary is that she doesn't play by, and not Hugh actually. Neither of them play by the rules. And by the rules, I mean the cultural and customary expectations of their neighbours. There is this thing called custom. It's just, you know, we've, we've, we've lost a sense of it in the modern world. But what it really means is it, it, it's the expectation of how you're supposed to live in relation to others. So you are supposed to be charitable and you are supposed to speak nicely towards other people. This isn't about... Um, um, deference to authority, although that's important too. This is about people of equal status. This is about your neighbours. And especially the, 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 when we see Mary's decline, it's not about men getting on her. It's about her not behaving in a comfortable, correct way amongst her female neighbours. So much of the, the, uh, the, the initial accusation of Mary comes out of um, women in the community who she starts to you know bother and frighten and disconcert by the things that she says and does so there is this great pressure to conform within this working community and to uh you know to, to give off the right kinds of signals and it's her failure to do that which that's not the reach she's not accused because she does that she becomes more suspicious because she doesn't fit in in that way. And the fact that Hugh, her husband, is so angry with everybody all the time, it's that anger which, in a sense, gives him a kind of, you know, uh, makes people think that he has a motive in order to harm them. And then when things start to go wrong, you see that the, the idea of witchcraft around the Parsons family starts to take shape. I think I don't know about you, Heather, um, but I think both of us would be screwed in the new world, given that a lot our intolerance of people's stupidity um, and my capacity to lose my temper with said stupidity. I, I reckon I'd be doomed. Well, again, you see, lots yeah. of people, lots of people get angry in the new world. Lots of people have these sort of characteristics. These aren't, and like in the old world, there's lots of you know old women um, living in communities who have cats and all sorts of things who would who never become accused of witchcraft it's it's not about as i say it's not about scapegoating and ran and stereotyping it's really about difficult relations with people that are intractable and about these emotions which um uh, are un, unrestrained and therefore feel like a kind of toxic power uh, within this um, within a neighborhood but you need lots and lots of factors to come together it isn't just a monocausal thing as people sometimes yeah. think like I can't explain you know some illness therefore I blame it on a witch that's just a myth it just doesn't yeah. happen that way and even if anybody did do that no one would take it seriously because as we said at the start that actually there's great uncertainty about the kind of proof that one would require in order to successfully prosecute somebody for the crime of witchcraft. 
We've mentioned already the richness of the personal stories. Uh, we've got to ask you, because we're obsessed with this on History Hat, what were your sources? Where did you go and where did you find such amazing material? Right. Well, I was already kind of familiar with the, the primary sources for witchcraft and for colonial America because I'd written two books, um, uh, Witchfinders, which was about the East Anglian witch hunt of the 1640s in England, and Between Two Worlds, which you mentioned, Start Witches, was... You know, it was a broad sweep of um, uh, the English colonisation of America in the 17th century. But the specific things for Springfield really make it, you know, really make the book what it is. First of all, they're very good records for births, marriages and deaths. And it's really useful because then you can find out exactly, you know, say when a woman married and then when a woman's pregnant and then when the child is born and then when she's pregnant again and whether the child lives or dies and so on so you can having those kind of records which are not especially interesting perhaps in themselves but they're absolutely vital for being able to construct um individual biographies i suppose and also and to fit those things along a timeline so you can see that when a certain a woman was said she was particularly frightened you might find that she has young children and then you and so many witchcraft accusations are about anxiety about children that then that starts to make sense so that's one source there's another great source which is um uh, in an archive not not in springford itself but in the town an archive in a town um uh, outside springfield and this is william pynchon's account book now pynchon controls everything and everybody in springfield Everybody, he makes everyone's lives possible because he gives them credit at his store, but he also keeps them in a state of dependence. So this book has page after page after page, a different page for every person in the community. And it's not huge, but there contained within all this scribble, you see uh, the whole economic world. But it isn't just the economic world of Springfield, because if, as is true on, on Hugh Parsons' page, if he's buying... Um, medical pills and a lot of them from the store for his wife then you know that's particular time when he's when she's ill and when he's trying to do something about it and so on so you can read an awful lot into these things and you can see the kinds of debts that people are in and their attempts through work to uh to, to reduce this debt there was also um a, a book of, of notes about the minister of the town a man called george moxon and that gives you a really powerful image of the spiritual life of the community, the kinds of uh, images which are being put into people's heads um, during Sunday services and in the Thursday lectures. And you really start to see these and, and that the tone of these sermons changes over time. You can see Springfield goes from a relatively kind of spiritually sunny place into somewhere that's much darker. But above all is the source which I mentioned just now, which is the which is William Pynchon's own notebook, a deposition book of all the evidence, the testimony which was given against Hugh, Hugh Parsons in particular, Mary indirectly, um, in the sort of around about 1650. And that, that is, gives a very, very detailed sense of all the things that were um, that they were accused of. But you can also read it against the grain, as I was saying earlier, and it gives you a very clear sense of the kinds of lives that people uh, led, particularly of mutual 
dependence about work and that and, and which suggests a sort of fragile existence which which required everybody to play their part according to expectations and that meant that conversely if anybody didn't like Hugh Parsons then naturally they stuck out as someone who was working against the good of community the, the good of the community uh, rather than for it. What kind of effect um, did the accusations like the ones made against Hugh and Mary have on emerging communities in the new world? Right. Okay. Well, the thing about witchcraft accusations is that they are, as I've already said, are not actually perhaps as widespread as we might think. However, the the things that lead to the witchcraft accusations are absolutely endemic in all communities, which is really competition. And I think also a sense of guilt, especially in more godly communities, of which there are many in New England, where they, I think that there are migrants who are disappointed that they aren't able to build this new Jerusalem for themselves. And that actually what they find is that their communities are really rather rather too much like the old communities in England in the sense that everybody hates each other's guts. So um, that I, so I think that the, the pressures behind uh, the accusations, the, 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 you know, the, the causal tensions behind the accusations of Hugh and Mary, you do find all over the place. But the, the, once Hugh and Mary are accused, you do find that actually that it has effect along other communities in the Connecticut Valley, where there have also been suspicions in the months and a year or so before Hugh and Mary are suspected. It is like there is this sort of creeping fear along the Connecticut Valley. And there have been cases in other parts of uh, New England too. So not a kind of, um, not sort of mass hysteria, but uh, sufficient cases to show that, and I think to prove to those who are godly and sensitive to these things, that, the, that there is malice in people's hearts. And that malice is what leads to witchcraft accusations, which leads them to be sufficiently kind of spiritually corrupted, that they might turn their backs on Christ turn towards Satan and use satanic power in order to harm their neighbours and by implication to, to, you know, to, to, to attack the heart of their communities. Sounds like a really miserable time to be alive. Really. <laughs> well, you know, to some extent they, they, you know, it's compared to our world. Yeah. I mean, you know, ne- never, nobody should ever uh, wish to live in any other period, I think, other than their own. I mean, most of these we would find, um, you know, if our, our, phone, our own lives um, unbelievably luxurious compared to almost anybody in the past. So um, it, it seems horrific to us, but they do take great sustenance from one another's company and from that culture of one another's company and also from faith in God. I mean, it is important to them and they do feel that they have a right to be there and they do feel that their destiny is protected. It's just the day-to-day is extremely hard and that these are people, as I say, who have or have difficult relations with their neighbours but also feel, you know, those inward emotions of, of, of guilt and uh, of envy and all those other things which are very important to the way in which they feel that God might be looking into their hearts. And that makes them feel even, you know, often even more miserable and either more determined to try to be good or somehow to assuage that guilt or to transfer those negative feelings onto somebody else like 
the witch as Hugh and Mary Parsons. There's an extent to which I think that Hugh and Mary are accused of things which are really um, endemic, you know, of a car of, of of malice and envy and and of um, acquisitiveness, um, you know, anger, fear, anxiety, hatred. Everybody feels those things but maybe they find it rather uncomfortable to store them all up inside themselves. And to some extent, I think they are unconsciously projected onto Hugh and Mary, who have already marked themselves out as being rather um, incongruent within this community. I think, Malcolm, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us. You really are going to go and have to buy the book, people, if you want to see how this trial uh, pans out and the fate of Hugh and Mary Parsons, um, because it is fantastic. And just the, the depth of research and, and the, um, the way they've been brought to life is absolutely fantastic. Before you go, though, I think you're the first time we've had someone who's a specialist in 17th century America on this. So I'm going to pull you down a rabbit hole with Jamestown. Uh, do, do we need to do a whole separate post uh, podcast yeah. on Jamestown? Yeah, They're really boring explanation. Definitely need to do an, another podcast on, on Jamestown. It's a big story in itself. But the, the great thing about the fascinating thing about Jamestown it is the first permanent English colony and they get everything wrong and in fact it's kind of relevant to Springfield really because there's all these you know adverse conditions and um uh, you know and they have terrible wars with Native Americans but the really that they they hate each other you know and they what's what they really learn is the divisions amongst themselves is what it does for Jamestown they have an awful lot of bad luck as well they have the worst drought there for 700 years and doesn't really help things but but, you know, I think that the like Springfield, the important thing about Jamestown in the end is it does survive. And that there are, when the time that Jamestown is founded, there are many other colonies in Maine and elsewhere which fail and disappear and never heard of again. But Jamestown, although it's, things are actually awful to the point that they're reduced to cannibalism at one point, um, it does actually keep going and they learn a great deal about how not to found a colony and that kind of knowledge is passed on in the next 20 30 years or so to places like Springfield who learn the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it brilliant so you will have to come back and regale us some more with uh, some of the early settlers in America I know Heather loves this stuff too Malcolm thank you so much and congratulations again the book is thank available on the History Hack bookstore uh, buy it from us not Amazon because Jeff Bezos will just uh, ruin your money and spend it on rocket fuel uh, whereas <laughs> if you use bookshop.org you support independent bookstores and the author and the publishers and us uh, which we like all of those things Malcolm thank you so much thanks Alex thanks Heather when our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support and here's to your next great book. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.